Beloved Church of God, beginning our divine service before God, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name and allow your inheritance in the name of the covenants of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in the service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, ignorance, covetousness, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy nation. And stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you in the arcs of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation. May they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. I present the service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
Numbers chapter 18, verses 19 and 24. All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. For the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, have given to the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore I have said to them, Among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. Interesting. What it's in, what's interesting is the foundation that the sons of lawlessness find themselves on, who are found under the captivity of Mammon, when in their interpretations of tithes, which is a covenant of salt, eternal, everlasting, existing long before the law of Moses and independent on the law of Moses, they relate they relate this to the law of Moses and they reject tithes as something that is hallowed unto God and they use this phrase, voluntary offerings are greater, as if they're... For when they say, you must strive to live to live in the measure of a tenth that you had received and give God the rest, nine-tenths, so you live according to one-tenth, they are doing so incorrectly. Their so-called voluntary offerings are invalid because so-called voluntary offerings that are not clothed in the format and dignity of tithes can never be in the quality and quality of tithes because only that that it, only that which is clothed in the format and dignity of tithes honors God as the heavenly father 
because this is hallowed. Under the condition that a person gives it voluntary as something that is hallowed with which he honors God, thanks God, worships God, and expresses his love toward him and acknowledges his authority. Tithes are not just one-tenth because all that is dedicated to God gains the status of a tithe which is brought into the rank of something that is hallowed. The same way as the, Sab the Sabbath is not just called the seventh day, but any feast of the Lord that falls on any day of the week and may last for several days, these are called Sabbaths, God's rest. When we are referring to voluntary offerings of tithes, then the meaning of this kind of liberation is comprised of sovereign uh, the sovereignty of a person to freely choose to honor God or to not honor God. And this kind of decision means to be found under either under blessing or under curse. To live or to die. Retribution is being prepared for not just those who are lying to themselves, but are lying to others by leading them away from the truth and leading them instead of leading them to delusion. Scripture calls these people thieves who steal from God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10 Thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 If a person does not voluntarily accept salvation on the conditions noted in Scripture, he will perish. The same, way, the same thing will happen to people who challenge challenge God and refuse to worship Him tithes and doing so obediently, which are His hallowed. By refusing to honor God in the format and dignity of tithes and doing so, we attribute to us the status of God and we challenge His dignity. That is why in His time in the former Soviet Union, the KGB had strictly refused or strictly prohibited Christians from talking about tithes. They said, you can bring voluntary offerings, but don't talk about tithes. Apart from the worshippers of Mammon, they knew quite well that he to whom voluntary offerings are brought is God. Voluntary offerings, the offering of God of tithes, protects a person from the authority of the demonic prince of Mammon. Voluntary offerings to God of tithes protects and multiplies. Voluntary offerings of tithes makes, makes their land flourishing, a city that is set on a hill and a light to the world. A person will never, can never be a light to the world in a city set on a hill if he does not honor God, the tithes and offerings. This is the main commandment from which begins worship to God. Israel, if you want to turn to me, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that my home may have food. And now, although, although in this test me, says the Lord of hosts, shall I not open for you the doors of heavens, and shall I not rain upon you blessings abundantly? And blessed you will be called by all nations, because you will be a flourishing land, says the Lord of hosts. We together are going to worship God in tithes and offerings.
Without honoring God with tithes and offerings, service, no service can be service to God, no worship can be worship to God, because it is specifically here where we acknowledge over us the authority of God and express our love to Him. Let us stand. This is our opportunity to each time when Mammon tries to, through the old man, tries to challenge God, we cut the root of all evil, which is love for money, and we do so by honoring God with tithes and offerings. God did not say, give everything to me. He said, give me that which belongs to me, and then I will bless you with that which you have. If you withhold what is mine, in doing so, all that is yours will be cursed, and you will not inherit anything from this. You will not take anything on the, bring anything to the other side of the world, other side of eternity. The tithes that we bring are transformed into a heavenly currency and are put, placed in our heavenly bank. And when we arrive at the new heaven and new earth, then it is specifically, uh, many things will Many things will be affected by this. Sometimes people think, I just want to end up in heaven. But Apostle Paul says, I want to reach the highest rank. And this highest rank is reached in this world, those who have more money. Those who have more money have more opportunities. Those who have more transferred into heavenly currency, they will have more opportunities in, in heaven. This is an expression of our love toward God and His authority over us. Therefore, let us sing. And so each time Israel had honored God with tithes and offerings, either in the tabernacle of Moses or the temple of Solomon, you were called to, according to the words of Moses that he had received from God, to raise their hands over their offerings before the Lord and to proclaim one unique proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel, tied to that same root, will do the same thing. Please raise your right hands, a symbol of your righteous act, over your offerings and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and have brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I did not give imperially. I did not give in sorrow. I did not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And according to your word, I ask you, right now, may your heavenly windows be opened and may your blessings come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. He may be seated.
And so if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to keep great mystery that shall continue to be revealed through the span of eternity. Even here, we will never comprehend it fully because the God that we will be able to know in full is not God. Our God is a God that is never able to fully be comprehended because he has no end to his wisdom, not, no end to his time or measure. Eternity is that we will continually know about our Heavenly Father, something new, new and new. And so this place of Scripture talks about the fact that our perfection will be that we will be able to get to know this new. The religious world is not able to know this new. They are convinced, them, they have convinced themselves in something and that it's supposed to be understood only this way and they cannot uh, and widen in their boundaries. They cannot understand anything further. Matthew 5, 45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. Based upon this work of art that we just read, Sons of the Heavenly Father is exclusively that category of people that are in accordance to the requirements of His perfection. The command that you may be fathers addressed by Christ exclusively to his students, the position of a, or quality of a student is confirmation of the fact that we are the children of God. Therefore, fulfillment of this great in its essence commandment will identify from the multitude of people the called to salvation the descendants of the Heavenly Father that belong to the small flock of the chosen on, and are beloved by God. This is seen in the many works, words of Christ that we oftentimes finished in his parables. Luke 14, 24, For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Luke 14, 24, and another place of scripture, Luke 13, 23, 24. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gates, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Very few of those called those that are saved, that are overfilling the churches today, very few of those will be saved. Many will lose their salvation because they will be looking not where they need to be looking, will not be using the means they're supposed to be using for finding the old path of good. We need to again confirm that entering into the category of the called and entering into the category of the chosen from beginning to the end is the conscious and willing choice of a man. To be a part of the category of the chosen, there is a price to lose your nation, your house, and your sinful conduct passed down to you, or the genetical inheritance that we've inherited from our fathers. 
And that category of the saved that is opposing these requirements, they themselves cling themselves to the category of the called, and they themselves identify themselves this way and have condemned themselves. Linked to the path that leads us to perfection, we have been studying the path that leads us to God as to our groom in the symbolic story of the path of Rebecca to Isaac, and have been studying the signs presented in the Bride of the Lamb, Rebecca presenting these signs in the virtues of the Lily of the Valleys, upon which we are called to look so that the collaborating with the truth and the power of the Holy Spirit, we then form ourselves into the image of perfection that is in the likeness of our Heavenly Father. Luke 12, 27 through 32. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so to consider the lilies means to seek the kingdom of heaven and doing so dress into the perfection of the heavenly father to study the relationship between those who seek the kingdom of heaven in their heart and god we turn to the relationship of the most beautiful of women with her beloved that by the functions and state of the heart identify the lilies of the valleys and so the virtues of the lily of the valley in the heart of a person presents the kingdom of heaven that has come into strength, not in the seed when it is sown with tears, but in strength when it bears fruits of joy. And to study the relationship between those who seek the kingdom of heaven in their heart and God, we have been studying this relationship in the allegories that are presented in the book of the Songs of Solomon. We see the requirements of the most beautiful of women to look upon unseen goals, these unseen goals being the virtues of her beloved. Because based upon the words of Scripture, unseen goals upon which we are called to look in the virtues of, of God in the unity of all of His commandments presented in the life dynamic of the growing lily are eternal. At the same time, seen or physical goals reflected in materialistic success, blissfulness and faith and fame are temporary. We being children of God, when we pay our attention and look at physical or seen goals, they transform us from worshippers of God into idol worshippers and result a harvest of eternal dishonor, shame, and wilting. For the many holy people, anointing and blessing have become idols and they worship them. They worship anointing and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and blessings and not the giver, not the anointer and not the blesser, because obedience to the preached word is impossible without looking upon the word, the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh. Therefore, the principle of looking is the act of one of the most powerful methods and principles of sowing into the soil of our heart. And so those objects that we look upon with desire are sown into the soil of our heart and produce fruit that transforms our essence into the nature of that object. 
Therefore, when we look at unseen goals in the dynamic of the growing lily that contains within itself the kingdom of the law of grace, they transform us into the image of the Son of God and produce an eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4.17.18 This is a confirmation of this truth. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Upon what conditions? What price? While we do not look at the things which are seen, but all the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The object of the study of our unseen goals that are contained in the virtues of God in, this in his specific requirements and commandments is the requirement to look at the covered process of life that flows in the dynamic of the growing lily. The growth of the lily is the manifestation of the life of resurrection in the body of a holy person, which becomes possible to, due to the death of the seed of the planted lily. This is what Apostle Paul explains, this is how Apostle Paul explains this principle, 2 Corinthians 4, 10, 11, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. It's talking about the fact that the life of resurrection needs to be revealed in the mortal body, not when we receive new glorified bodies, but here in this mortal body we the life of resurrection needs to be revealed. Something needs to happen. And as we've talked about till this time, through the span of 2,000 years, the church has never, ever experienced this, not in the first church, not until this day. It still has not happened, but it's written that it's supposed to happen. And so, therefore, all the uh, descendants continually received the instruction of the previous, uh, and they continued to stay on their own. But the last Christian people that will stand and will understand these, uh, these uh, principles, they will be dressed into this resurrection, and this will not just be their harvest, but the harvest of all, uh, all that before us and tell our time. Why did God not give it to them? Because if they would have received it, then they would have reached uh, perfection without us, so that they not reach the uh, position of perfection without us. The scriptures say that it will be poured out in the last generation and will be poured out on the last generation, then it will cover those also that are already with the Lord. They still have not experienced the perfection, although they are there. They have not experienced that revelation of the glory of God about the Heavenly Father, because the revelation of the glory of God will be experienced when the body, the mortal body, will be putting on resurrection. Somehow, God will also allow them to experience that there. And so we are in the most wonderful time because all of the incidences of the world right now talk about the fact that resurrection can happen at any moment. The Kingdom of Israel is strong. Europe, the previous boundaries of the Roman Empire are almost all together. <clears throat> the one thing that cannot happen is yet is the man of sin is the bride of the Lamb. She's in, the, in his way while <clears throat> she has not yet been taken from the earth. He cannot open himself. She is stronger than he is. He is afraid of her. 
satanic gatherings, all kinds of Illuminati's, Masons, all other kinds of groups, they are afraid of the bride. They are not able to destroy her or kill her because the one that is in, in them is greater than the one that's in them, in them, in these people that are afraid of them. And so the death of the Lord in us is the seed of the lily that has been fertilized in the soil of our heart. At the same time, the life of Jesus inside of our body is the fruit that has been grown from the seed, the fruit being the lilies of the valley. The beauty of the lily is one of the imperishable virtues of the Heavenly Father, revealed in His Son, Jesus Christ, as well as those people born from God in Christ Jesus, that have grown the seed of the lily into full measure of growth in Christ. Songs of Solomon 2.1.2, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. The Heavenly Father has these virtues of the lily of the valley. The Son of God has the virtues of the lily of the valley. The Holy Spirit has the virtues of the lily of the valley, the natural virtues of the lily of the valleys. The Lord has shown this lily just a simple flower, a white simple flower that grows all, in all places. And God showed that there are my virtues and not just mine but he also says like a lily among thorns so is my love among the daughters and so the natural beauty of the lily in the virtues of the bride of the lamb are contrasted to the thorns the nature of the other daughters attempting to claim the calling of the bride and the attention of her groom Defining thorns by the words of Christ are the cares of this generation and wealth where a person looks upon seen or visual goals, these goals being materialistic success, which chokes the seed of the kingdom of heaven in the death of the Lord Jesus and it is sometimes without fruit. This is specifically why the other daughters claiming the status of the bride and the attention of the beloved are in the likeness of thorns because their goal, the object that they looked upon, became seen materialistic prosperity. Today, the Protestants, Christians, ha are captured with this need or this desire for materialistic success. He's saying God wants us to be rich. God wants us to be rich in faith that we be rich in the trials of Christ because everything that is physical will be burned and none of that will go into heaven. There, you're the reproach that you've experienced, the trials that you've experienced, the pure will go there, the imperishable will go there. And so do not focus upon materialistic things and don't look at those movements that will be shouting and amongst whom uh, a lot of different signs are happening. These miracles and signs are false. And so the image of the lily in the heart of a person is the result of looking upon the unseen goals that are contained in the virtues of the Heavenly Father that identify the pure and holy and imperishable wealth. And so the result of us looking at unseen goals is the fruit of eternal life, which is the kingdom of heaven that has come into full strength that was previously received in the good soil of our heart in the form of the seed of the death of Christ Jesus. We came to the conclusion that we are created by God with such a purpose and such abilities, looking at specific goals, be they positive or negative goals, we are transformed into their essence and their image. 
And so what we look upon and what we look upon is what we transform into because the essence of our abilities is that we are unable to look at two battling between themselves and rising up against each other goals at the same time. This is the seen and wilting and the unseen and eternal. Before looking at two battling between themselves goals, we as people are given sovereign rights and need to make a choice, a choice benefiting either the seen and perishable or benefiting the unseen and imperishable. This is how God offered this choice to us. Deuteronomy 30, 19, 20. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. God reveals here His will. He's not commanding. He's asking that you choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, and that you may cling to Him. For He is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord your God swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. And so to choose eternal life and be dressed within its power, we need to not forget and always focus our mind upon the unseen virtues of God in, his, in this situation, the dynamic of life that flows in the growing lily. Unseen goals being imperishable wealth present the interests of eternal life in God and with God. At the same time, seen or visual goals, these being perishable wealth, present the interests of eternal death in Satan and with Satan. To look upon unseen goals means not to look back or not turn back once you know the path of righteousness. The many meanings and many functions of life that is contained in the unseen virtues of the growing lily called to identify the nature of good work in Christ that we are called to fulfill when we serve God, this is our purpose and blessed destiny in God. The image of the growing lily is the image of a person that possesses a wise heart due to the fact that he accepted the mind of Christ. We came to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit tends a man with a wise heart between the lilies upon the condition that this person converses with other people that are like him, dressed into the virtues of the lilies of the valley. And so watch who your friends are and what you, who you spend your better time with. Proverbs 13.20, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Proverbs 13:20 The world doesn't call, the scriptures don't call the world foolish because they don't exist they have not been born to exist before God foolish are those who were born from God but instead of trusting and hoping upon God and following his principles they are attempting with their own mind to comprehend the scriptures foolish people hope and trust upon the abilities of their intellect and are identified in scripture as corrupt company 1 Corinthians 15:33 do not be deceived evil company corrupt good habits Apostle Paul says that the world does not corrupt your habits, otherwise we would need to come out of the world, but the one that is with you, calling themselves a brother or sister, but remains and legalizes sin, becomes tolerant to sin, we need to love everyone, they say. These are the ones you need to be careful of. We can love only those who love God. 
And those who hate God, who are against God's will, who know God and are against His will, we need and are called to hate these because God hates them. God's love is selective. He loves only those who love Him. Therefore, to determine and examine ourselves whether you belong to the family of the lily as well as if you are a part of the one who tends us and among what truths we are being tended, it is necessary to have a full understanding of those qualities and characteristics that are given to the most beautiful of women in the virtues of the lily of the valleys, written in the book of the Songs of Solomon. It is necessary to have a full understanding of those qualities and characteristics that are given to the one who needs to tend us, or more accurately, the one who is to be our shepherd who needs to present Jesus Christ within our service. It is necessary to have a full understanding of those qualities and characteristics written in the songs of Solomon that identified those truths and the people amongst whom the beloved herds or tends us. In a particular form, as much as the Lord has allowed in the measure of our faith, we have already studied a series of allegories that contain signs that identify the image of the bride of the lamb and the virtues of the lily of the valley, and have been studying one of the signs contained in the book of the Songs of Solomon in the dialogue of the most beautiful of women with her beloved. Songs of Solomon 5, 2 through 5. Let's remember it. Songs of Solomon 5, 2 through 5. I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, Open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on? Again. I have washed my feet. How can I defile them. My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped. And so the latch of the door is the key. That's where you put the key into the door, into the lock. And my hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. And of course, this is a proverb, this is an allegory, this, to understand it directly is not wise. We note that in this place of scripture, the dialogue of the most beautiful of women and her Lord reveals the sacred relationship of the holy people before they meet with the Lord upon the clouds or in the air and is evidence of their readiness to meet with the Lord upon the clouds. If we truly have loved the appearance of the Lord, then it will be necessary for us to examine ourselves whether we are ready to meet with the Lord upon the clouds when He appears for those who wait for Him in salvation. And to reveal and identify specific signs of the dialogue of the most beautiful woman with her beloved, serving as her evidence of her readiness to meet with the Lord, we, due to the revelation of the Holy Spirit, brought forth a more expanded version of this place of Scripture. I am submerged into the death of my Lord, in which I have died for my nation, for my house, and for my corrupt desires. But my inner person in the resurrection of my Lord is vigilant in prayer. Here's the calling cry of my beloved, that by the knock upon my door, proclaims the ability to use his right to the power to reveal his strength in the works of righteousness. Now open to me, my sister, O fulfilled with my peace, one that does not have evil in her heart, my beloved friend, and one that is loved by me. 
incomparable with any, my dove, my pure one, one without blemish or wickedness. Because the authority that represents me, sent by me to you, is overfilled with the words of life and the power of my spirit, and the people that follow after them died for sin, so that they may live for righteousness and perform righteousness. I have taken off the robe of the old sinful man with his deeds, collaborating my cross with the cross of Christ, and, and do not desire to be dressed in him anymore, because I have allowed my feet to be washed admitting my sins before the sons of my mother. I also so wash their feet, forgiving their sins, and do not desire to defile my feet again by sinning against the sons of my mother. My beloved for evidence of his love has stretched out his hand to me because of the offering which I presented, testifying of my respect towards God and called me to liberty from the dependence of my old man with his deeds and has given me the strength to restrain my mouth and place a guard over my mouth. And my insides began to worry about when he began to act and I arose from ruins of death by the power of his resurrection, and I cast off the burden of the old law, so that the beloved would be able to carve upon the tablets of my heart the words of the New Testament, that would be able to clothe me into his righteousness, so that my mouth would be able to be filled with gar uh, fragrant praise, and the words of my mouth, like myrrh, would produce incense from the four horns of the golden altar of incense in my heart. In this dialogue, we paid attention to five moments, and this is the most beautiful of women confessing her state as a whole. The voice of the beloved being the response to her state, the first reaction of the most beautiful of women to the voice of her beloved, the behavior of the beloved in response to the most beautiful of women, and the second reaction of the most beautiful of women to the behavior of the beloved. In the previous services, we have already studied two moments and have been studying the third moment. But before we continue, we will shortly remain, uh, remind ourselves of the first two. The first moment, I am submerged into baptism into the death of my Lord, in which I died for my nation, my house, and my corrupt desires, by, but my inner person in resurrection of my Lord is vigilant in prayer. We came to the conclusion that this, in this place of scripture, the most beautiful of women confesses the faith of her heart that identifies the state of her heart as well as her state as a whole, in which she is submerged into the death of the Lord Jesus, but where her heart is vigilant in prayer in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Because in death, there, you are not able to be vigilant. You are vigilant in resurrection. To be vigilant is to be sober, to be able to judge, to be awake, to stay away from sin, to learn away, lean away from evil, to consecrate your dedication, to watch for the signs of the times, to watch that the will of God be fulfilled, and to stand guard of the interests of the Lord. In the second moment, in the words of the more elaborate version, here is the calling cry of my beloved that by the knock upon my door proclaims the ability to use his right to the power to reveal his strength in the works of his righteousness. Now open to me, my sister, overfilled with my peace, one that does not have evil in her heart, my beloved friend and one that is loved by me, incomparable with any, my dove, my pure one, one without blemish or wickedness. 
because the authority that represents me, sent by me to you, is overfilled with the words of life and the power of my spirit, and the people that follow after them died for sin so that they may live for righteousness and perform righteousness. We came to the conclusion that the hand of the beloved are the delegated representatives of God that are filled with the revelations about his strength. The people of God and God's chosen remainder follow them. The latch of the door through which the beloved stretched out his hand is a living sacrifice. That is how the most beautiful of women presented herself before the Lord. In the third moment in the elaborated version, we see the response of the most beautiful of women to the revelation of God, that is, that she received through the latch of the door and the dew of the drops. As we together have now understood, the latch of the door through which the beloved stretched his hand is presenting her, yourself to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable for his good service. And of course, here it's talking about a living sacrifice. Nowhere it talks about a living sacrifice except here except for here. In the Old Testament, we know that every offering that was brought to God was first slaughtered, the skin was removed, and it was split into pieces, and the insides of this offering was washed, and its legs were washed, and it being dead was offered up to God on the altar. But here we see a unique offering where the skin is removed from the living animal, and the insides are washed, and as it's still alive, it's placed upon the altar. And to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for the most beautiful of women, it was necessary to take off of herself the robe of the old man with his works. <clears throat> I've taken off the robe of the old sinful man with his deeds, collaborating my cross with the cross of Christ, and do not desire to be dressed in him any more, because I have allowed my feet to be washed, admitting my sins before the sons of my mother. I also wash their feet, forgiving their sins, and do not desire to defile my feet again by sinning against the sons of my mother. In Hebrew, we note that the phrase, I have taken off the robe, means to tear off, tear off the skin from an animal while it's still alive. And so she says, I have allowed my skin to be removed so that I can lose my old form of life. Before a person puts on humility, where he will receive the ability to admit his sins before the sons of his mother, and to forgive the sins of forgive the sins of the sons that have been done against you. For this reason, he will need to collaborate his cross with the cross of Christ, and to refresh our mind and how to carry our cross with the cross of Christ, where we receive the ability to remove from ourselves the robe of the old man, to be able to present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable for His wise service. We turn to the commandments and the statutes and instructions that within this bo these boundaries would be able to reveal our collaboration with the cross of Christ, our cross with the cross of Christ. We needed to remember what abilities and special differences there were between our cross and the cross of Christ. Based upon what principles is our cross able to and is called to collaborate with the cross of Christ? Otherwise, having these abilities to mix our faith with the faith of God, we will not know what truth needs to be mixed or what truth needs to be we need to obey. And by what signs are we able to determine that our cross collaborates with the cross of Christ and not its counterfeit? 
the understanding these three questions will allow our, us carrying our cross to collaborate with the cross of Christ and will allow us to remove the robe of the old man and to wash our feet. In a particular format, we have already looked at the essence of the cross of Christ and the, our, the essence of our cross and the differences between our cross and the cross of Christ. And I've been studying the second question based upon what principles is our cross able to, able to and is called to collaborate with the cross of Christ. And so to be able to identify the principles upon which we need to collaborate our cross with the cross of Christ, we turn to those uh, components of Scripture that reveal these requirements where we can collaborate our cross with the cross of Christ. The image of the cross of Christ, as much as we know, is presented in the 12 stones that were placed in the bottom of the Jordan, identifying victory over death as well as the 12 stones that were taken from the bottom of the Jordan, identifying victory over sin in the flesh. The image of our cross is presented in the 12 stones from which the altar of the Lord was con constructed or built. By themselves, the 12 stones of the altar identify the goal or motives of the human heart, that is, the strive to know the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And the living sacrifice that is presented upon this altar is the means that is used to reach the goal you have. The living sacrifice that is presented upon the altar from 12 stones was Jesus himself, who had revealed for us with his sacrifice the path of inheritance that is contained in the blood of the cross of Christ. He was crucified upon the cross alive, and they removed his skin, they beat him, had beaten him, and they nailed him to the cross. And the cross is a symbol of an, the altar. In the New Jerusalem, the image of the new altar, we see here the 12 pearly gates is the key to the inheritance contained in the blood of the cross of Christ. We also see the tree of life that bears fruit 12 times, bearing its fruit each month and the leaves for the healing of the nations. And so to be able to study the treasure that is contained in the blood of Christ, that is the trees of that is the fruit of, li of, of the tree of life that bears its fruit 12 times, one fruit each month, we had been studying the, studying the names of the 12 tribes of Israel written upon the pearly gates that identify the requirements upon which we need to collaborate to be able to collaborate our cross with the cross of Christ. Revelation 21, 10 through 21. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, and twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And names were written, written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And so the twelve pearly gates is the unity of twelve virtues that the living sacrifice has presented itself a sacrifice to God. And the twelve names of the tribes of Israel upon the twelve pearly gates is the unity of twelve principles placed into the foundation of carrying our cross with the cross of Christ. 
And so these principles are not able to be presented independent one from the other, so you need to receive them as one whole, because they fulfill one the other, they confirm one the other, they confirm the truthfulness of one the other. In the book of Ezekiel, the names of the tribes of Israel written upon the pearly gates identified the uniqueness and identity of the principle of every gate that is in accordance to the name that's written upon them. The names of the tribes of Israel written upon the pearly gates, we came to the necessity to concentrate our attention not on the patriarchs themselves, but the meanings of their names in which we see our destiny and our inheritance in Jesus Christ, but the requirements that are within the foundation of collaborating our cross with the cross of Christ. And we will remember that the identification of the pearly gate within our heart is the measuring of the golden wreath by the mind of Christ through the instructions of faith. In the previous services, we had already studied 10 principles of carrying our cross with the cross of Christ, that is the 10 names of the tribes of Israel, and we will turn immediately to the 11th name written upon the pearly gate, presented on the western side. The eleventh name written upon the pearly gate presented on the western side is the name Asher, the eighth, the eighth son of Jacob, whose name means prisoner or captive of blissfulness. Genesis 30, 12, 13. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. Based upon the name the meaning of the name Asher written upon the eleventh pearly gate, the principle upon the foundation with which we are to collaborate, to collaborate when we carry our cross with the cross of Christ, is our ability to become a willing captive of God. Psalm 68:18. You have ascended on high, you have led captivity captive. You have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. God can't captivate a person that is already captivated by the devil if he himself does not desire to become a captive of the love of God agape. Jeremiah 27 through 12. O Lord, you induced me and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and I have, and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. When we become the captives of God, we have to understand the principle of carrying a cross with the cross of Christ. If we have this evidence that we are the captives we collaborate our cross with the cross of Christ. We will be induced by the Lord. The first thing that it says, you induced me and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. You have captivated me. And what happens when we become captives of God? Everyone mocks me. It's talking about the nation of Israel that mocked the prophets of God. These religious people not understanding the meanings of the commandments and statutes of God, and when the prophet was interpreting them, they were daring and mocking him. For when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted, violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and derision daily. 
Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. For I heard many mocking, fear on every side, report, they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watch for my stumbling, saying, perhaps we can be... He can be induced, then we will prevail against him, and we will take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. But, O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous and see the mind of the heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for I have pleaded my cause before you. Jeremiah 27 through 12. If everyone says everything good about you and you walk before, not before God, but before your denomination, before your church, and hearing the truth within your heart and understanding it, you're afraid to reveal it, then this talks about the fact that you have not desired to become sons of the Heavenly Father. Those who hear the truth and suddenly are meeting for me or are great greeted with it for the first time and you see all of your surroundings do not know this truth and this person then becomes afraid of the, these surroundings and want to show that they're just as everyone else. I oftentimes say, even some pastors have come to me secretly and told me Everything that you're saying is the truth, and I know this. I want for you to know that I am on your side, and I am for you. But if the bigger part of the people will be against you, I will not defend you either. I will be with them, but you need to know that in my heart I am not against you. How, how do you, what do you think? Is this a wise or an unwise statement he made? Why do I need such a friend that I will know? Is it not going to be easier for me? I know that some from this gathering that are against me, as they did against Jeremiah, that they actually are not against me, but they're afraid of their surroundings. And this is not one pastor that has already told me this, not just one. And they say, yeah, it's good for you, this, you have a theoc the theocracy. We are elected if we go, go and support the truth, they will remove me. I said, let them remove you while you're still in authority. Reveal the truth, and if they crucify you, then let them crucify you. If you don't want to be crucified with Christ. And he says, I don't have this kind of strength. I look at you with surprise, but when they will be against you, then I will be against you as well. But know that in my heart I am with you. It's unfortunate that there are such people because they see the truth. You see prophet Balaam, he perfectly saw the truth. He says, you are a man with open eyes, hearing and seeing the voice of God. But this hunger for power, hunger to be accepted and famous as everyone else, 
You know, for me, uh, as a child, I don't know where it came from, but I've not cared. Even being a child and being a teenager, I absolutely did not care. I loved my church very much. I loved it very much, and this was my crib, and it was, I absolutely did not care when God revealed something and, and I revealed it, I, what they would think. I didn't care at all what they would think. And those that surrounded me, teachers and uh, even elderly people, <clears throat> they... They say the sincerity, and as a child, but it's truly so. And I don't didn't, but I didn't know at the time if it truly was the truth. Why, why would were they not preaching this from the stage? But when I already grew, of course, when I spoke, they said, be careful on the turns. And I said, what are the turns that they're referring to? You're the ones that are taking turns. I'm going straight. And so I was never afraid of the of, of people or, or uh, respected other teachers. I loved people that were anointed by God. And I, when I saw that they were afraid, I always asked, why are you being afraid? The anointing that you have, the position that you have, Many episcopals came and would. I, I was familiar with them. They would come and they spent the night at my house. They were amazed by the revelations that God would give, and they said, "This is not an. This is not imaginable that this could be." But and but I asked them, "Why do you not speak of these things?" But they said, "We can't." Or when in the presence of other people, they completely changed and and they, they tried to please people that have already lost faith. Remember that in the camp of God, everyone will be lions with a lion heart. They will not be afraid. If they hear the truth, they will put it upon a flag and they will go upon the cross with it. And they will consider this a great privilege. And a, this is carrying the cross, this principle. If you have this in your heart, then you will be able to collaborate your cross with the cross of, cross of Christ. The twelfth name written upon the pearly gate presented on the western side is the name Nephtali, the sixth son of Jacob, whose name means wrestling. Genesis 37, 8. And Rachel's maid Bela received again, or conceived again, and bore Jacob a, a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Nephtali. Considering that the what we need to utilize is the prayer and prayer inspired by the Holy Spirit. The principle with which we need to collaborate when carrying our cross with the cross of Christ is our preparedness to allow the Holy Spirit to be with us in prayer, in a prayer of battle against the powers of hell that oppose, oppose us and, and oppose us uh, when we're fulfilling the will of God. Because without prayer, with the, without the power of the Holy Spirit, without being uh, your friendship, collaboration with the Holy Spirit, your prayer will not go great, uh, higher than the, the roof. It will not actually reach God. Uh, 
prayers come to God that are anointed by the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, nothing will happen. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to pray together with us. You'll say, but how do we do this? I want to, but how do I do that? When you begin to pray, absolutely pray in tongues. There's a need that is not, does not need to be revealed in your familiar language because the devil knows that language. And as soon as you reveal it, your weak side, uh, there are weak sides that you want to say, but the devil does not know those weak sides yet. The devil does not know what you're thinking or your weak sides. He's learning your weak sides to then attack those weak sides. But in prayer, when you say, Lord... I am weak here. And in this moment, the devil hears this too, and he sends uh, his, and he attacks that unprotected, that weak area in your life. Begin to pray in tongues. Those uh, secret uh, weak sides do not reveal them in your regular language. Uh, reveal them in tongues. May the weak say that he's strong. It says in Scripture. Remember that place of Scripture. May the weak say that he is strong. Don't say that you're weak. You, don't, you can't be weak in Jesus Christ because the Lord is for you. Who, can, who will rise up against you? Who is in you is stronger than who is in the world. You don't need to confess your weakness in prayer. You have no right to confess the weak, your weakness in prayer. And when you begin to say, Lord, thank you that I am strong in you. Thank you that I can stand upon all the powers of hell. And in tongues, pour out your weak, uh, your, your areas that are weak or the, the places you need help. Uh, because you will then receive help, but the devil will not know uh, those things and will not be able to attack them. When James began to pray, he allowed, he, he, he allowed God to battle with him in prayer. Because you've allowed me to pray with you, Jacob said, God said you will be able to overcome uh, and even your brother. Why? Because you've allowed me to battle with you in prayer. And to allow the Holy Spirit to battle with you in prayer, you know what you need. You need to lose your old self and not trust upon your own mind. After this battle, Jacob was, came out and he was stumbling. That means he was no longer trusting upon himself. Israel came out and was he was stumbling. On one foot, he was, he was hurting. When you will allow the Holy Spirit to battle together with you against your enemies, then he will access your old self or your nature, and it will die in its corrupt desires and will not uh, bring you anything else unpleasant. The fact that he was stumbling was because he, he saw the results, the, the, the things you suffer from, the things that come from the flesh. You don't like them, you don't want them, they come, but they come to you, and you suffer. Because here, Jake, this is where it ended for Jacob. This is one who is a wrestler who, who is able to... Uh, allow the Holy Spirit to battle with him in prayer until his old self is removed, eliminated, because everything the enemy, everything that the enemy accomplishes or is successful in, he does through this old nature, and as soon as this is removed, then a victory, great victory will happen. 
Third question. By what signs are we able to determine that when carrying our cross, we are truly collaborating with the cross of Christ and not its counterfeit? How do we determine that we truly are collaborating with the cross of Christ? Considering that the sign of carrying our cross with the cross of Christ is called to become the results of resurrection that are identified in the inheritance of the blood of Christ and the image of the tree of life that yields its fruit 12 times, bearing its fruit each month. In their unity, we will look at these 12 signs in our heart as an element of vigilance and prayer that is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that are in specific feasts and signs, that are in the 12 months of the year that will be evidence for us that we carry our cross with the cross of Christ. Feasts and signs symbolize fruit that is pre present in our heart in the 12 months that represent the tree of life that contains within itself the inheritance of the blood of Christ. And we enter into this imperishable inheritance of treasure contained in the blood of Christ through the 12 pearly gates that contain in themselves 12 principles that testify of our collaboration carrying our cross with the cross of Christ. Identifying the celebrations or the feasts, we will remember that in the Old Testament, the identification of the word new points to the resurrection of life that are revealed in the fruits of the tree of life, where person receives justification as a gift of grace independent from the law of Moses that actually prompted, prompted wrath. And so the word new Romans 4, 15 through 25, because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham who is the father of us, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God and gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope and hope believes so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about 100 years old and the, de and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not uh, waver at the promise of God through unbelief. The first sign upon the foundation of which we are called to determine evidence of our collaboration, carrying our cross with the cross of Christ, is the presence of fruit in our heart revealed as those feasts and signs that are happened in the first month of the holy year, called Abib or Nisan. The first month of the holy year is the seventh month of this citizen year that falls somewhere in the middle of March or April. Abib Nisan is the month where uh, the month of maturity or readiness of the ears of wheat or wheat, or wheat grains, Exodus 13, 1 through, uh, 1 through 3. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever open, opens the womb among the children of Israel, both, of, both man and beast, it is mine. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for my strength of hand, the Lord brought you, by the strength of hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you shall 
You are going out in the month Abib. This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Firstly, in the first day of the month, as well as the first day of the rest of the months of the year, was noted as the Feast of the New Moon. The Feast of the New Moon is a symbol testifying of justification, in which a person born from the seed of the word of truth becomes a new creation in Christ Jesus. The month Abib differed from the other months of the year in that it contained an additional feast, that is the feast of the new year. The feast of the new year contained within our heart in the first new month is evidence of the fact that we were born from the seed of the word of truth to be the chosen first fruits of God that would be able to be his holy portion. That is God's personal belonging. What is the new year? God's personal belonging, God's lot, the creation of God, the inheritance of God, the apple of God's eye, the selection or choice of God, and the firstborn of God. James 1.18 is written of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation, uh, creatures. The selection or first fruit of God is the separated small flock from the multitude of the called into the category of the firstborn. Exodus 13, 1 through, 1 through 4. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. And Moses said to the people, Remember the day of which you went out of, the, out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for my strength of hand, and brought you out of this place. No leaven bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going to come out. It's the month Abib. And the month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Remembering the day of the day you came out of Egypt is the heart of a person. In the heart of a person is a sign of the circumcision of the heart and the ear. Evidence in our heart of the fact that we carry our cross and truly collaborate with the cross of Christ. Secondly, being born from the seed of the word of truth, we also received or ex we also received and accepted the seed of justification. We received this seed upon the conditions of God's law of grace and grew it into the fruits of righteousness, presenting within our heart the justice of God. Justice is the fruit of the tree of life that identifies the inheritance of the blood of Christ and is evidence that we are collaborating across with the cross of Christ when we carry our cross. Thirdly, in each new moon, including the first month, the Sabbaths of the Lord were celebrated. All of the feasts of the Lord, no matter what, they, what day they fell on within the week, were called the Sabbaths. They abided within the boundaries of the Sabbath and looked at it as the seventh day, which identifies, identified or identifies the fullness of Christ. <clears throat> The Sabbath is the body of Christ, this is God's chosen remainder, within the boundaries of which the kingdom of heaven abides, and within the boundaries of which all of the feasts are present and happening. The chosen and to inherit these tre treasures by the chosen by God rem remainder can only happen by the fruits of the tree of life grown within our heart from the seed of the kingdom of heaven. If we have within our heart an organic membership or part to God's chosen remainder and honor it as the Lord's Sabbath, then this is the fruit of 
the tree of life, and it is evidence that we collaborate our cross with the cross of Christ when we carry our cross. And it is also evidence that we have a connection to the blood of uh, the inheritance of the blood of Christ. Fourthly, in the evening of the 14th of Nisan, in the first month of the year Pesach was celebrated, that flowed into the Feast of Unleavened Breads, that then continued from the 15th to the 21st days of the month. Leviticus 23, 1 through 8. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Spe Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy con convocations, these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. The, these are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at your appointed time. On the 14th day of the first month, at twilight, it is the Lord's Passover, and on the 15th day of the same day is the Feast of Unleavened Breads to the Lord. Seven days you you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do do no customary work on it, so you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation, <clears throat> you shall do no customary work on it. Holy convocations is a symbol of the body of Christ. A holy convocation is the feast of or celebration of the Lord. Holy convocations is the gathering of hosts of the holy during a sacrifice. Holy convocation is honoring the Lord's Sabbath. Holy Convocations is offering yourself as a living sacrifice. This, you can only offer yourself as a sacrifice in the body of Christ. Independently, you can't do this. Holy Convocations is sanctification of your dedication. Holy Convocations is the collaboration of our faith with the faith of God. Because only in the church can we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and be obedient to it. Holy Convocations is communication with God in worship. Holy Convocations is taking part in the communion. Holy Convocations is abiding within the peace of God. Practically, these ten definitions of Holy Convocations is the celebration that took part in the celebration of Pesach. As our time has already finished, right now we are going to pray as we still need to take part in the service of communion. Right now we are going to bend our knees, our heads, however who is comfortable, and we will pray. And everyone who desires to uh, go against all their fears, that uh, be delivered from their fears, from their... The Holy Spirit is in this place to help us to be victorious to deliver you from sin to protect you from all kinds of sicknesses Amen, let us pray we wait for you here at the altar right now I'm going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you, He is not against you He right now is ready to break your dependence with your fear, with your shame, with your sins. This is a gift of the great of the grace of God. It is enough that you have come out and have judged the sin, judged this dependence. God is ready 
to also heal you from fe- or deliver you from fear. We have fear from sicknesses, death. He's ready to d- deliver you from this fear. He's ready to take the top and proclaim liberty and healing in his son through his son Jesus Christ. Close your eyes. This is a sign of your secret room. Hands lifted to God. Pray together with me, Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my fears, with my sins, with my pain, with a broken heart. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, protect me, heal me, take my shame. I believe in your words. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I open up my heart for your healing word. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am justified, and I am saved. Amen. Amen. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He look upon you with a shining face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they will not touch you. May all of these blessings come upon you, the blessings of the hills and the valleys. May the eternal healing of God be upon you, and may it flourish quickly and in your children. May all this be upon you and be fulfilled upon you and upon your children, and the nation shall say, Amen. And we will proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.